and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and happiness. My name's Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Ben and Jodie Cook, uh, co-founders of JC Social Media and a social enterprise called Clever Tykes. So it's been a pretty interesting couple of weeks in terms of the politics that's been going on and just the general madness in the UK and uh, actually in lots of other parts of the world as well. It feels like there's just a lot of turbulence around at the moment. It's a pretty interesting time. Uh, I saw this on Twitter the other day. It said, uh, if you're in a pub quiz in 20 years time and the question starts, in what year? Just say 2016 and you'll be right which I thought was very apt and is, I think I'll leave it there in terms of the politics and everything else. Um, so yeah, what I've been up to a couple of weeks ago, I went to see my favorite band in the world, Hiatus Coyote. They played at Somerset House in London. I basically go to all of their gigs when they're in like London or Brighton or sort of somewhere near me. Uh, so it hasn't actually been that long since I saw them, but I, I realized I was the only person in the whole gig who had turned up there with some work to do, like I'd printed out uh, like so this report that I'm working on and it was like okay I'm just going to make some notes just sat on sat on the pavement uh, for this outdoor gig sort of uh, watching the support band and drinking some wine and, uh, and and then I'd also come from a two hour audit and risk committee meeting for Centrepoint and it really kind of struck me like I feel like I'm the only person who has sort of <laughs> had that experience of this gig and a lot of other people had obviously met friends and all that kind of thing and I don't know if that makes me if that gives me good work-life balance or bad work-life balance or what, I don't know. Uh, but it just kind of struck me that I was a bit of an outlier in that moment. A uh, little heat wave happening here as well, which is great. Um, I've got the entire Think Productive HQ team and partners coming to my newly refurbished and landscaped back garden for a barbecue on Friday. So I'm hoping the weather holds out. And uh, it's it's meant my uh, my Asda orders have been really weird. Like there's this forty pound delivery limit thing, and I just breach it like all the time at the moment. And the guy turns up with just like boxes of ale and just ale and dishwasher tablets and nothing else. He must <laughs> like if he thinks that's what that guy eats and drinks or whatever, uh, he probably thinks I'm crazy. Uh, and uh, and also just ordering a few different wines. So we've got this really nice wine cellar down the road from us called Butler's and you can go in there and it's completely sort of unpretentious. They've got wines that are like 150 pounds and stuff, but you can also just go in and say, hey, I want to spend six pounds and I want red and I like this and whatever. And they'll just pick something that is amazing. So, uh, so they really know this stuff. So I've taken it as a little excuse to buy like a range of different wines and then sort of taste them and then work out which ones to buy in bulk to make sure that like obviously it's got good wine uh, for the barbecue on Friday. So, so that's been kind of fun. Nice excuse to drink more wine than I usually would uh, sat out in my garden in the sunshine. So what can, what can be possibly bad about that? So on to Ben and Jodie Cook. So Jodie's the founder of a business that they both, both work for called JC Social Media, one of the leading social media agencies in the UK and uh, the biggest in Birmingham. Uh, ben it also takes the lead on a social enterprise that they co-founded together called Clever Tykes which you're going to hear about, which is all about inspiring the next generation of entrepreneurship and, you know, just a, something I'm really passionate about. And uh, I think they're, they're, they're doing something really fantastic there. Um, he's also Jodie's trainer because Jodie is a British powerlifting champion. And uh, this was just a really fun and really wide ranging uh, conversation. So we talked about goal setting, minimalism, a few bits of Zen in there as well. Um, really fun. And uh, 
the first one interviewing a couple together, and there's something of a, a golden couple on the Birmingham business scene. So Jody's the co-founder of the Birmingham Female Entrepreneurs Network. They've won some business awards, and they've got this kind of real rising star reputation in Birmingham. So um, yeah, when I met uh, Ben and Jody, it was actually in London. They travelled down on the Chiltern Line. So if you if you ever do the, the the journey on the train from London to Birmingham, and you go through Euston and New Street, I mean New Street used to be like stressful, and now it's like a cool place. But Euston's just a really stressful place to be uh, but the Chiltern line it goes from Marylebone and then goes into Snow Hill just much more relaxed the whole thing legroom wi-fi like it just generally quieter like it's just a really nice nice way to travel so uh, they told me that they'd come down on the Chiltern line which is obviously just like uh, people after my own heart and uh, anyone who knows me knows that my nickname for Birmingham is the soul of the universe uh, so we started just talking about the underrated city of Birmingham <laughs> It's got a lot going for it. There's new things opening there all the time. Well, for, for both of us, both of our families live there as well, so it's nice being really close to them. A lot of our friends live in London, and although I really like visiting, I just never fancied actually living in yeah, London. Yeah. So, yeah, Brum's good. We live in, in, the, in the city centre right by the Jewelry Quarter and just walk everywhere, really. Yeah. The whole goal is to get the gym, home, work triangle to be as small as possible. <laughs> and so our triangle is less than a mile. Okay. Which is perfect. Cool. So, well, we have a car. We just don't use it that much, apart from to go further. We don't really use it around Brum. Uh, ben, you're a fellow long-suffering Aston Villa fan. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, well, abs- yes. Um, that was absolutely a blow to the city. Uh, I think that Villa getting getting relegated this year. There's a blow to half the city, probably. Uh, yeah. I feel the Blues fans were happier about Villa going down than the, how sad the Villa fans were about going down. I think it's been a long time coming. Um, but I mean, Albion are still are still doing it for the Midlands in the Premier League. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, we won't talk for an hour about football um, <laughs> but yeah absolutely I care what Jody says it's, Birmingham is a fantastic place there's so much going on there's a lot of building work there um, it's a thriving economy for startup businesses particularly the tech scene as well um, and Birmingham has had a bad rap in the past and I think a lot of people imagine it as this place that it was in the 70s and 80s but so much has changed so much has been spent um, on the city uh, so much development and I'd implore anyone who's not visited the city recently to get get there and see it yeah and I saw it come up on uh, one of those like you know sort of BuzzFeed style like here are here are cool places to go and have a city break that you'd not thought of Mm. and obviously having spent a lot of time there when I first saw that I was like oh that's kind of interesting and then I was like yeah actually like if you've never been there like that's the perfect place to go for like a three day city break right like and it but I think a lot of people would just be like what Birmingham that's kind of an odd thing and maybe because it's in the middle as well Mm -hmm. like just that Mm -hmm. whole thing of just going to the middle for a break you want to kind of go to the coast or on a plane you know what I mean definitely yeah I mean Birmingham's got other things to offer hasn't it like the canal the canal network the new library is a stunning bit of architecture um, and it is it is such a culture driven city as well so much to see and, and also the food we can't forget that I mean the five Michelin stars now is it five? five okay. yeah wow. um, yeah Carters have mostly picked up uh, the fifth one for, for Birmingham wow. um, which is, is incredible really um, seeing as other cities in, in the UK like, like Manchester 
Manchester don't have any. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was none when I lived there actually, which yeah. was only yeah. sort of ten years ago. I don't think there was a single Michelin star. And there's yeah. another restaurant in the Joy Quarter called Two Cats, which maybe might get the sixth one. Oh, so. They're certainly going for it, aren't Lining they? I think, the I think, yeah. How do you get a Michelin star? Do you know? Like, how does well, that I don't actually know, but <laughs> I think you have to be on the radar of the Michelin committee, and then yeah, I think the way you the way you serve food and the things that are on your menu, I think, have to be fairly formulaic, as in look at what other ones are doing and tasting menus right, seem to okay. go down yeah. pretty well so just having a tasting menu in that menu. but are you guys real foodies like yeah. you, so you go to not real foodies and we hardly ever cook our kitchen's tiny right. we, have, we have two hogs in an oven that's also a microwave and just there's no space <laughs> and there's only space for one person in there but which we'll yeah. come on to we'll talk about that yeah, yeah but we're all about the travel, train, and eat. And yeah. the eating is yeah. eating out and going to different Michelin style restaurants, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's certainly an experience thing, isn't it? It's not just the food. You don't, you know, the, pr- the price that you pay for some of these meals, it's not the price for the, of the food, you know, yeah. it really is the experience. So you have to see it as a lot more than, than just the meal. Yeah, absolutely. So I was really excited to get you guys on the podcast. Um, and I want to talk to you about JC Social Media. So mm-hmm. um, your business is now five years old. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about that. Um, and also uh, to talk to you about your books. And also just the fact that it was quite an interesting one for me, the idea of interesting you guys together because you do everything together. You work together, you live together. And also you have a very set lifestyle that you're trying to lead and like that you're you're both very conscious of of designing that lifestyle so i just thought it'd be cool to do one with a couple and do that together um and jody you said to me um ben and i are 27 most of our friends this is on an email i'm gonna quote, quote your email back to you. <laughs> ben and i are 27 most of our friends our age are doing the whole live in london thing work yourself into the ground then drink yourself to oblivion at weekends (laughs) and we couldn't be not all of our friends (laughs) (laughs) and you said we couldn't be further from that so tell me about uh, like being far from that and like what's the sort of consciousness in terms of setting up a lifestyle that's very the opposite of that or different to that well Taking inspiration from lots of different authors and people who do it as well, I quite like Tim Ferriss's ideas around the new rich and Mm. it's not the kind of old rich where it's just about having a big house, having a car, having all these different old rich type things. It's like all about how you craft your lifestyle. And so one of the things that Tim Ferriss talks about doing and one of the things that we did maybe a a couple of years ago is wrote down on a piece of paper every day, every other day, every week, every month, and every year, and then next to each one, write the things that you want to do every day, every other day, all that thing. And And then you start to realize that the things that you actually want to do all the time aren't really that far away and you're probably doing a lot of them anyway it's just like eliminating the ones you don't want to do and adding more in and, and what are you thinking about that from a sort of point of view of like you know a lot of people think about that like if I was rich I would do XYZ and Tim Ferriss's idea of the new rich is don't wait to be a millionaire yeah just it's live actually like about, one, even if you you're know, not. create the lifestyle that you want and yeah. you know, and actually flexibility and self-employment and some of those things can get you to that point much quicker. Yeah. So were you sort of looking at it in a very kind of idealised way? Is that sort how you're Sort of, because the next, the next stage in that process is assign a cost to everything. Mm. If you want to have a, oh, Tim talks about salsa lessons and stuff, if you want to have a salsa lesson every month, how much is it going to cost you? And then add it all up and work out how much your year costs. Yeah. And it's probably a lot less than you think. And, and then, then and then work out from there this is optimally how much I need to earn to sort of pay for that lifestyle, which I think most people don't think of it that way around, do they? Most people just go, Well, I'm on this salary, 
and so success looks like getting to this salary or getting a pay yeah. rise to this or whatever yeah. right yeah I think and then you you run the risk of getting trapped in the rat race I guess where your salary goes up your expenses go up and then you're always in this constant state of always wanting to get to the next stage just so you can spend more yeah. so we thought of it a different way around but then it, and what was on your list that you changed that we changed um I guess things like making time for going to really nice restaurants and making time to properly get into training and properly get into powerlifting. That's probably around the time I started competing as well when we started talking about that. And eliminating things within work that maybe I did or Ben did that we were like, this isn't isn't where our main skill set lies. We want to do different things. I think it is streamlining your life to to focus on the things that you do want to do. Um, And it's very similar to what Jodie said. I think that Rich has been defined by what you have. Um, but now it is becoming what you do um, and often a lot of the things you enjoy doing are free or don't cost very much um, and of course if you aspire to have a, a massive house and a, a certain style of car or, or even a yacht the cost of that like you know living is going to be into the millions and yeah you need yeah. a very well-paid job for that you probably do need to live in London but how many you know how many of us can sit down and say actually I'm doing exactly what I want to do right now mm. um, we're often too much living in the in the future or the past and when we get there we will have all this when we're a millionaire you know millionaires we will have all these things and do all these amazing things and it's you don't live in, live in the future you never live in the future you're always mm. living in the present what, what can we be doing to, to make us happier in the here and now yeah that's dead right and I think so many people I think most of the people who aspire to own a yacht don't already love sailing Right, so it's it's more what does owning a yacht mean, and what's the status that that brings, rather than like oh my passion is sailing and absolutely yeah. So I think you're dead right. It's like you know trying to figure out you know start make make the starting point. What do I want to do every day or every two days? I love that thing of like every day, every two days, every week, every Mm -hmm. month, every year. Mm -hmm. Did you make a list of the things you didn't want to do every day, or the things that you wanted to? to make sure we're not going to be on that list you know what I mean like what's the, the sort of opposite list we did the the drill where there's what are the things that you want to start doing oh, what yeah. are the things you want to stop doing what are the things you want to do more often mm. what are the things you want to do less often and of course there are there probably were things that came up then although that's, that was a while back, back now so you, I think we'd do well to pick, pick some of those out yeah ending up in supermarkets spending, spending hours in supermarkets oh, probably I hate supermarkets <laughs> yeah that was when we started doing well first we started just doing online Tesco shops and then getting them every week and having that thing where it just does it for you automatically and then you click yeah that's what I want and then we don't spend that much time in supermarkets now no we're fairly efficient with that Uh, I don't spend much time in shops I really dislike shops yeah I mean the last thing I bought in a shop was I went into the shop to buy uh, those Bose headphones the ones that are like noise reduction because mm. it's one of those things that I have to test them out and see if they're actually any good <laughs> yes, yeah. and I walked out going shit they're amazing I, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. like, I just bought them on the spot but apart yeah. from that it's, it's always online for me yeah. yeah definitely but then even shopping you don't have to do it at the weekend like you're, the difference between your experience of going on a Saturday morning when the shop's around and going on a Monday afternoon just because you can yeah. you'll even yeah. have a completely different experience doing that so it's like stepping away Rob Garrity calls it like the millionaire life the millionaire, millionaire experience sorry yeah. about doing yeah. things not when everyone else does them and so and then you know and everything's like that so the train is a much nicer experience if you don't do it at peak times yeah. and you know just all those things if you don't follow the crowd which I guess 
to be able to not follow the crowd, you have to have a sense of autonomy and self-employment is a big part of that for you guys as well. So, Jody, just tell us about the uh, the start of your business, JC Social Media. Like, where did that? How did that come about, and what was your journey into that? Five years ago, I was. 22 and I didn't start it to start a business to start a lifestyle to kind of do all the things we did now I basically started it because I wanted to do social media for different companies and because I wanted to create myself a job that was my mm. own thinking at the time and then I I, I somehow managed to get myself a website, managed to get myself kind of set up and started telling people about what I was doing a friend who I was on a graduate scheme with told her employer what I was doing and then she said oh right okay my boss wants to meet you to talk about some work that you could do for us I was like oh okay so and that was in Blackpool so I went all the way up the M6 and didn't go with any kind of any experience obviously because I haven't hadn't really done much stuff before apart from my graduate scheme but I just went with so many ideas so many so much passion about like yes this is what I can do um, that I just kind of exploded that all in the conversation and then he just kind of went oh yeah okay (laughs) go for it and then I found that once you have one client the second feels a lot easier so does the third and then just built up to a full pretty much a full-time job running the social media for all different weird and wonderful clients and then started to hire people so at the start you were the only employee yes and you were basically doing the sort of frontline social media for for different clients how many at one time like how many I can't remember how many clients I had at the start, but I got up to about 35 hours a week of client work after about seven or eight months. And then that's when I had a decision that I could either do that forever, just be freelance as as loads of people do, or I could start hiring. And that's when I decided I want to start growing a team. And And and, uh, tell me where you are now. So you're now five years in. Five years in. Just paint a picture of what the business looks like now. 12 people. Global clients, local clients, um, five ebooks, loads and loads of cool stuff going on. Cool. <laughs> a few awards as well. <laughs> a few awards, yeah. Yeah, you guys are really annoying. Like award <laughs> oh, award winning, good looking, entrepreneurial kind of uh, yeah. Like you, you you're both uh, like just very successful in like everything you uh, put your minds to. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they would, they all work together fairly well. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And we spend a lot of time, you know, on this the kind of self improvement, self development thing. And I think um, that it, it, it is all interlinked, isn't it? You become a better communicator, a better manager. Um, you know, we spend quite a lot of time in the gym, become a better athlete. It does it does mm. tie in with each other. Yeah. And uh, one thing I didn't mention there, Jodie, is you're the British champion for powerlifting. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, um I started competing at powerlifting last September and then after just nothing really apart from realizing I was pretty good at it and then yeah. um I mean, was that just like you were in the gym and you were lifting weights in the gym? Was it simple? Started off lifting weights yeah. in the gym and then a couple of years ago Ben was quali- got qualified as a strength and conditioning coach with UKSCA and then started training me. And then I started getting better. And then um, first started competing, qualified for nationals last year, won the yeah won the British Championships at the 55 and a half kilo weight category. And now I'm competing with a new federation. So I've got nationals in September now. Wow. And so Ben was training you. So that leads me on to a question, which is like in, in your relationship and in your work, who's the boss? <laughs> it's a good question, actually. It's- I don't really know. 
Yeah, I think we, we very much work together on things. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people say to you about working together. We, so we work together. So we're in the office a, a lot. We go to some, some meetings together. We're, we're in the gym a lot. Um, and obviously, we, li- we live together uh, in quite a small flat. So we do spend a lot of time with each other. Yeah, um, yeah he's the boss. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, I think the, the main thing is that you work together as a team mm-hmm. and you yeah. share the same values. And I think therefore you can kind of slip in and out of who's in charge on something because it's, it fits your skill set or yeah. someone's got a good yeah. idea about something mm-hmm. um, and so it, is it like one of you takes that role on you know certain things and one on the other or is yeah. it everything's like a, you know is everything a very joint decision or I think it, sometimes um, if it's in one of our areas of expertise then that person can take the lead and, and the other one can play a supporting role I mean in the gym yeah. it's a very much a, from my point of view I'm coaching and Jody is the athlete but um, we try as best as possible to, to find the best solution and usually if we talk that out and come to a decision together it's generally the best um, I and find we have, <laughs> and because we have been together for nine years so since we were 18 so yeah. we probably started yeah. off in very different places but then just kind of worked out our values together because you change so much between 18 and 27 as well so it's just quite good that we've been able to grow together rather than grow apart yeah and in terms of the uh sort of developing a lifestyle and sort of thinking about um that side of things and 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 sort of perhaps like even with the business do you, do you feel like one of you was more the driving force around that or like did you both come into it at the same time like was one one of you kind of more influencing the other like how did that come up well i started J social media and you were uh, at uni doing various bits modelling and personal training things like that yeah that's the first thing after I went the first thing I did after graduating was uh, do my personal training diploma yeah. um, I, so I did an economics degree um, really enjoyed it but I thought I don't want to go straight into a 9 to 5 so there was certainly there's always been an element between the two of us that we didn't necessarily want to go into a straight 9 to 5 and I um, I spent a couple of years uh, doing some modelling work um, whilst Jody was setting up J social media and I think um, I did a job where I worked with a guy who was well into his 70s and I just saw this was my future. I was going to be doing modelling work, going down to London for castings, which are the model auditions, um, and I'd be, I'd be doing this forever. And it's, it's self-employment, so there's no real security. Mm. Um, and I could see Jodie was progressing in her business and starting to employ people and thinking, actually, um, we're going to have a lot more control if... if we go on the, the business side of things as opposed to being at the beck and call of, of companies who need people to show off their products or services. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was probably the catalyst for going into that. And Jodie was starting to read a lot more about lifestyle design and, and certain books on, on how to, to make business work for you in your, in your lifestyle. And it just made sense for me to start getting involved on that side. And <laughs> so I started doing a bit of work for Jay's social media when that uh, you know, and, and, and that enabled us to probably to grow it faster. Mm. Um, and then the idea for Clever Types arose. So that's probably how how I got more uh, integrated into the business side of things. So let's talk about Clever Types, um, which I I love those books. I remember meeting you, Ben, and yep. having lunch and taking those books home and reading them on the train back. Um, and so, just tell me about those books and the I guess the sort of the birth of that like where, where did the idea come from yeah, Clever Types in? sure yeah well it, it came it came from Jodie's business really um, Jodie's probably better at, at the story yeah. um, so I'll, I'll hand over at the moment <laughs> it was around a year into JC Social Media and through a friend called Carrie Green who 
owned the Female Entrepreneur Association. I got invited to be an ambassador of startup loans because at the time they were first starting out, they were offering loans and support and mentorship and things to 18 to 24 year olds at the time. And they wanted examples of people who had started their business on less than a thousand pounds so it was me it was my friend Carrie and 10 other young like all under 30 business people who'd all started their business on less than a thousand pounds including people like James Eder of Student Beans and all these huge companies and at the time I think I had one member of staff and I was feeling a bit out of my depth (laughs) what the hell am I doing here type thing but it was great and so the meeting was chaired by James Kahn of Dragon's Den yeah. and he went round. it felt a bit like Dragon's Den actually because he went round and he asked everyone about their business about turnover about goals and stuff like that and then he got to the end and this was after hearing everyone's amazing stories about what they'd achieved so far and what they had planned and James Kahn said out of interest out of the 12 of you who has a parent that's also started their own business mm. and so I put my hand up because my mum has been self-employed for 15 years or so and I thought there might be a few of us but it was 11 out of the 12 people within the room who had also had a parent who'd started their own business and so it was quite a powerful moment because we all with our hands raised just kind of looked at each other going oh Mm, and so that's when we that's when we thought there's definitely definitely something in this and so we came up from London talked to Ben about it and we started doing a bit of research around it and then we spoke to Professor Francis Green at the University of Birmingham because he had written a paper called Like Mother, Like Daughter, Analyzing Maternal Influences on Entrepreneurship, which basically found that they're so inherently linked if you grow up with an entrepreneurial parent because they're a role model to you, you, it helps you develop certain skills and characteristics. Is that different between men and women? So could it have been like father, like son, or was he making a particular point about the maternal influence being bigger than the paternal influence? Um, Professor Green, definitely his paper was between, you know, daughters and, and mothers, but there's been quite a few studies um, that, that show there's, the, the main driver is that there is a role model in the family, mm. um, whether it's a, a father or a mother, right. that that seems to be the key driver. Um, and there's, there's a lot of studies on this that, that show it and, it's, it's something like 80% in some studies have shown that people are 80% more likely to start their own business if they grow up with an entrepreneur in the family. Mm. Um, and, and this is where, you know, Jodie and I were thinking, hang on, we've got, we've got to do something about this. We know there's this link. It's really evidenced. And, of course, if you flip it on, it on its head, if a child grows up without an entrepreneurial parent, they're up to 80% less likely to start their own business. And, of mm. course, there's this real link between unemployment as well. If a child has an unemployed parent, they're much, much more likely to grow up and be unemployed. Um, and we thought, well, how are these children getting their enterprising role models and by enterprising we mean the kind of innovative resourceful independent and and above all probably positive um, role models and we thought well they don't have have them let's let's see what we can find um, in, in storybooks and we started having a look at through through storybooks and, and the role models children have outside their parents and, and the ones they have at school. Um, and we could find loads um, of role models in traditional jobs. So there's the Postman Pat, Fireman Sam, Bob the Builder types. Yeah. Very traditional yeah. roles. Um, obviously kids know about what doctors, dentists, nurses do. They have a lot of interaction with with characters like shopkeepers so they're familiar with these kind of roles Um, and the old adage is a child can only aspire to what it knows exists so we thought fantastic there's some great role models here um, in these traditional jobs but what about business people 
So we started having a look around and we couldn't really find any. Um, in fact, there were more negative role models. So Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Yeah, Mr. Burns from The Simpsons is the first one. He's horrible. That's such a Typical, the, yeah, the sneaky, conniving, yeah. greedy boss um, of, a, of a nuclear power plant. Um, and then Lord Business from the Lego movie. Yeah, Lord Business <laughs> from the Lego antagonist. movie. Evil antagonist, he glues all the Lego together so that no one can play with it. Yeah, and I mean, there's... And I thought you were going to say Lord Sugar. <laughs> I mean, seriously, for kids, I mean, yeah. you watch The Apprentice and you think, you, I mean, you think that, that sort of... I mean, his portrayal, which is, it's kind of grumpy and angry and whatever. And But a lot of the stuff on uh, his portrayal of entrepreneurship is like, you know, that role, the, the little scene where the Rolls Royce kind of... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All yeah. that stuff is just very yeah. sort yeah. of inauthentic to what the just experience is for most people absolutely. running businesses. Right? Yeah, and, and you have to hand it to, to shows like The Dragon's Den and um, The Apprentice that they have brought entrepreneurship and business to the fore of a lot of people's minds. But the way it's been done has been in a very traditional, you know, business people are cutthroat and ruthless and it's all, all about mm. the money. Yeah. And it's touching on the new rich idea, but most people these days aren't starting a business to make millions or even billions of pounds they're starting it to create a lifestyle um, and there's a very mixed opinion about the, how good the how good influence is the apprentice and dragons then on young people um, so you're absolutely right there are a lot of negative role models and we thought well we, if we want children to grow up through their school lives basically being told get some get some good grades get to university land yourself a great career job if we're telling people all this and then we're spending loads of money to, in schemes like Startup Britain, Startup Loans, and saying, well, actually, you've graduated now. Even though we've been telling you all this time you should get a career job, there is another way. You should be a businessman. These children have grown up with such negative role models. Mm. I don't really think that's something people aspire to. Mm. And we you know, imagine, yeah, imagine saying to a child, hey, do you want to start a business? And they go, oh, business people, overweight, sweaty, pinstripe suits, like <laughs> horrible, horrible people. Why would I ever want to do that? And that's a massive problem mm, yeah and, and, and the, the analogy we kind of liken it to is, is sport and there are some exceptions to this of course but if we wanted more rugby players in, in our society we wouldn't approach 21 year old footballers who had been playing football their whole lives and said oh by the way here's a rugby ball here's a manual on how to play rugby um, go and be the next Johnny Wilkinson they take a grassroots approach and we start playing tag rugby yeah. with kids as young as six or seven. That's when children are most um, receptive to new ideas, new skills and learn our quickest. And that's exactly the approach we took with Clever Touch. We thought we need to give children the ideas, the skills, the attitude whilst they're in their formative years. Um, and hence we decided to create a series of storybooks aimed at six to ten year olds. So you've got, uh, is it three books? Three mm -hmm. books, absolutely, yeah, that's um, right, yeah. Uh, you've got characters like Cody the Coder. Cody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got Walk It Willow, yeah. um, who decides to walk dogs for her neighbours. Um, we've got Code It Cody, who's really interested in computers, but um, his the, the computer technician at school decides, you know, you've got a real talent, you should actually learn how to code. And then uh, Change It Cho, who's a feisty social entrepreneur, who, um, <laughs> who champions healthy eating and ultimately sets, sets up a, a fruit a fruit stall in her village. So there's there's a number of traits and a number of different skills um, that we that are promoted through the stories, and you know we've had some fantastic feedback from kids, yeah. from parents, and they're being used in over 100 primary schools across the country um, and we've just um, delivered just uh, just under 2,000 books to one of the, the UK's leading um, education suppliers so wow. we know that these books are going to be in the hands of, of, of thousands of kids and they're going to be gaining those role models that some may already have but some mm -hmm. of them won't yeah and you self-published 
Yeah, that, yeah, we certainly did. We worked out. Well, so we're both fairly impatient people. <laughs> and so we, we worked out that the publishing process with books is so long just so long so yes, you'll, you'll send your manuscripts off well you'll know they, they come back and then three months later they say hey yeah we might like it let us know like send us a new copy and then we'll tell you in six months and it was just all like hang on we're going to be like in our 60s before these books are published so um, we decided that we we approached a company who help to get books and different products into stockists after a recommendation from someone else and they had a look at the product they thought they just said yeah we can get these into stockists that's what that's what we can do so we thought okay well let's do it let's self-publish let's speak to these guys and let's try and avoid the publisher altogether yeah. so we've been working with that company a while they got us into Harrods and Selfridges and Waterstones online mm-hmm. um, and, a f- and a few more so it's great and no one's ever said anything about not being published with a with a publisher. Yeah, and I think for me, I mean, my my journey with Productivity Ninja was it was originally self-published, and then I found a publisher that could get me into WH Smith and those kind of places. But that was really one of the main reasons I went with a publisher at that point was distribution. So to get mm-hmm. that distribution and to have it, you know, in Harrods and in all these different places, I just think to be able to do that and be self-published is fantastic. So yeah. you guys have done really well with that. No, thank you. Yeah, because no, it was a very big decision at the time. As you know, as you'll know, there's, a, there's so many pros and cons you really have to weigh up. I think one of the one of the main benefits is that we were already in a kind of marketing space mm. and so that we knew that we'd be able to market it and a few people said, well, the publishers will get it out of this, the distribution, but not necessarily the marketing. You might have to do some of the marketing yourself. Yeah. And we thought, Let, let's go for it. Let's do it and see, see, see where it goes. And that's it. You know, so far it's definitely been the right decision for yeah. us. And you're waiting on a phone call, an email at the moment. <laughs> well, so the goal for Clever Tikes is a big goal. It's to break the cycle of unemployment and especially of generational unemployment. So how we want to do that in the UK, because we're aware that the kids whose parents can afford to shop at Harrods and Selfridges are not necessarily the ones that will benefit the most from the books. We want to we want to reach the kids who have never been in Harrods and Selfridges. Um, we decided that we wanted to get sponsorship to put the books and the resources in all of the 20-odd thousand primary schools in wow. the whole of the UK. So, yeah, we're, we're in fairly good stages, good talks with a couple of people. So, yeah, watch this space. So you've got a sponsor that's going to help you to, to do that potentially, and it's just like... See what comes back. See what. Yeah. 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 Say yes or no. That's it. We're looking for you know a socially responsible company who who's aligned with generating you know this this generation of uh, positively minded people with this this skill set that this country definitely needs. Yeah. Um, And yeah, as Jodie said, we've we've had some good discussions, um, but. We're doing both a physical rollout of the books, but also a digital one, so that we know that a lot of teaching resources are digitally led these yeah, days. So there's, yeah. there's there's lots to it, and it will be really really exciting for us if that comes off. And I guess the fact that you remained self-published through that, we're getting into author and book talk here, but <laughs> I think the um, the benefit of then being able to really dictate the terms of that sponsorship because you still yeah. have control over books is a, is a great place to be. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, that's maybe one of the reasons why, like, you know, if you've got that sort of wider social purpose with a book, having more control is better than what the distribution of a publisher might bring you, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we knew that with with the books, they, there hasn't been anything like this before. And it's, it is that kind of edutainment type genre, which mm. is bigger in the States, and that's obviously a word that has come over from the States. Um, but it's never really taken off 
too much here. One of the great examples is Horrible Histories, okay. um, which yeah. teaches children about history in a very entertaining way. Um, but we knew that if we did go with the publisher, there there were a number of things that they might might want to tinker with. And, and actually, the messages in the in the books are quite quite subtle. But we very much had our own ideas how that we wanted that to come across. Um, so so keeping control was was very much a, an important thing for us. And like yeah. I said, that now later down the line, and we're looking at these kind of projects, it's uh, you know it's hopefully it's going to pay dividends. Mm. And what I, I mean, I just think it's a fantastic project and yeah just well done on where you've got it to so far what I love about those three characters as well is that none of them are setting out to set up a huge business empire yeah. like yeah. and the dog walking thing really reminds me of my first business when I was about 12 or whatever which was going around mowing lawns you know it's just yeah. like going around and washing cars and mowing lawns and, and just stuff around my local neighbourhood yeah. where I'd, I'd figured hey I can go and you know make a few quid here and get get my pocket money together that way and, and that's exactly that sort of thing right so it's like introducing it on a very accessible yeah. sort of level rather than like let's set out for world domination from day one because a lot of people think that's how business yeah. is right that have entrepreneurs have these like massive hairy audacious goals that are just so you know like off the scale from day one and that sort of thing right but just making it very accessible and small and local and achievable absolutely a lot, of, a yeah. lot of the kids that have read the books now and um, some of the reviews that we've got have been like you said along those lines of starting small but starting really yeah. and yeah. so there's a there's a girl called Hannah who read all three books and then her dad went to see her and she'd written a list of chores that she could do around the house and, and assigned monetary values to them from 2p to 20p that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> and so she started um, I don't know hoovering the living room what like two for? What's I, the... I think it was just putting one item away or something <laughs> like that. Um, and then there was there's a guy called Fraser who's the son of, of a friend who um, he decided that he was going to start a car washing business and and he said to his dad, oh, can I wash, can I wash mom's car? And he said, okay. And he said, can I have a fiver for it? And he went, oh, yeah, go on then. I'll give you the fiver after you've done it. And apparently he didn't, he didn't wash it very well, so he only got three pounds. But right. apparently that's the harsh reality of business. <laughs> yeah, is it, do you know what? I mean, those things. So when I did car washing, and I still remember this to this day, I did it with a friend of mine called uh, Stuart Webster, who uh, I recently got reacquainted with on LinkedIn after about like 15 years or something. <laughs> But yeah, like we we went round the estate and we were washing cars and uh, we washed this bloke's car and there was two of us doing it together. And I said to Stuart, thinking like, let's, you know, I'm like 11 or 12 at the time, whatever. And I was like, let's uh, see how successful we can, we can make this business. And obviously to make it more successful, we have to wash the cars quicker. So we're like, let's see how quickly we can wash this car. <laughs> so we washed this car really quick, like, and we thought we'd done an amazing thing of like washing the car. Ringing the bloke's doorbell like five minutes later after we'd started, and he came out and basically he was reluctant to pay us because we'd done it too fast. Wow. And right, the okay. car was clean, right? But he was he didn't like the fact that he didn't think it. He, didn't he wanted us to sweat yeah. for our money. Right? Okay. So that was a very important business lesson around sort of customer service and perception, and yeah. so it's amazing yeah. what you can learn from these like sort of formative. So you should have maybe washed the right. first car, washed the second and third, and then gone back to the And then gone back to pay the money, yeah, or do it in a different way. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. And the, the reality of it is important because so often we, we do just hear the headlines, don't we? This child entrepreneur has made... 10 million pounds and I don't necessarily think putting those stories in front of kids is really what they want to know because yeah. children they don't know the value of 10 million pounds and and it always seems so unachievable um, and also I think sometimes like with uh, who's the guy who did really well on YouTube um, 
like three or four years ago uh, SBTV you know that that guy and so he's made millions and millions but basically there's only going to be one of him in that genre and so if you're trying to emulate that as someone who's really into like grind music or whatever it's like well that's kind of been done you know so trying to find your own niche is more difficult whereas anyone can go and wash some cars or pick up a lawnmower or whatever (laughs) yeah absolutely Um, and I suppose that idea of entrepreneurship being small practical accessible um, Jody, you were saying when you set up your business, it was like to give me a job. It was you know to sort of start that process of not to give me a job to give. Me a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, so you started it with that sort of small uh, intention of like giving yourself a job, not with an intention of like scaling up. And then yeah. later you decided to scale up. Yeah. Where are you at with that now? In terms of like, would you love to have like a two hundred person digital agency, or would that feel like yeah, bring it on? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but would that feel like stress in the sense of? you know like part of it is about having a business that gives you a really positive lifestyle and yeah. having the stress of 200 people might be more negative than having a, an agency of 20 people so like where are you at with that sort of ambition so, well I think I'm glad that I started doing everything and as I've hired more people I've gradually empowered the people that work for mm. me to do those things as well so something we did a couple of years ago was created a manual a manual for yeah. running JC social media so every question that I was asked I, I wrote down the answer I told the I obviously gave that person the answer then I wrote down the answer and then the next time anyone asked me it was right it's in the manual yeah. and then gradually over well it was a couple of months actually putting everything all, all in we've got a sheet for how to do absolutely every single process so it means that now so we've got a we've got a general manager who she's brilliant she looks after making sure clients are happy making sure the team is happy and anything that she doesn't know she'll look in the manual and then gradually learn it from there so I mean we've we've set it up pretty well so I don't think 200 people would be a massive stress it'd just be great as long as we had all the right the right bums on the right seats then. yeah and you could scale that manual then presumably in terms of yeah. the manual just has more stuff in it and you have the teams are bigger and yeah. everything else but and you don't still, feel like that would dra- drag you back in too much no I think it'd be fine and I'm still I'm still learning how, how people are best motivated and how clients are best kept kept happy but as long as we do just focus on clients and team then I can see us getting to that size mm. I think it's, it's probably one of the goals as well we've got we've definitely got the biggest social media agency in Birmingham probably about the third or fourth in the country so yeah it'd be great to get to that size just because it means that you're doing a good job for clients yeah and are there like sort of businesses that you emulate either in your space or just other businesses that you sort of follow that you think oh, I'd love to get to that size or be more like them or there's quite a few probably the more tech-based companies and their culture and ethos I like the Netflix the Netflix theory that they don't really have guides on like they don't have employee handbooks or anything it's just do what's right for Netflix and so they won't have a set number of holiday days or anything it's just do what's right for Netflix and I I think that's really cool and I think as long as you have got the right people who have the right ethos which it's like that's the hiring decision isn't it that gets that right then that could be really good so yeah a few Mm. a few like that interesting and um, tell me about something else you talked to me about on email is the philosophy of being a tree being a tree (laughs) it's being a tree is about not internalizing problems and not internalizing 
other people's mood swings and things that happen so you could it could be any given day you could pick up your emails and you get this email from someone who's really stressed out and if you wanted to straight away you could be like oh okay I need to sort this out I'm really stressed out too I need to do everything but what I try and practice and what I teach my team to practice is not being reactive to things like that about kind of saying right okay have I done everything I needed to what can I do now and kind of being this this tree <laughs> that isn't sort of just swayed by anything and everything because I think being a being an entrepreneur it can feel like you're always on an emotional roller coaster because things aren't just a little success things of wow this is the best thing ever I've got the best business ever and then things aren't just a little blip it's like oh this is the worst day ever yeah. and so if you don't control that you end up being on this constant emotional roller coaster of up and down and that's why I think entrepreneurship is quite linked to, to things like depression and bipolar because you are up and down all the time so I spend quite a lot of time focusing on maintaining that kind of chilled out it's okay if someone throws a ball at me I don't have to catch it kind of state mm. so being a tree is a it's a sort of zen thing in some ways it's about being grounded not being swayed too much yeah yeah uh, I think and so. like being quite steadfast in kind of like here's what I can do yeah in these situations rather than sort of you know molding yourself to the reaction of what's going on right? yeah I think it's a lot to do with control as well that mm. in any given situation someone could say pretty much anything to me and my first response would be right okay and then I'm going to think about it for a bit and then I'm, it's going to be my response rather yeah. than just a reaction because you lose control as soon as you give a reaction and did you learn that or was that have you always been like that I probably haven't been I think Ben's probably helped me about it with it, with it quite a lot especially when I was running a business and you were doing other things and you probably noticed that I was kind of up and down it was never like a stable thing so I learned it from and so at that point to. you would come home from like the early stages of a business is always a busy time you come home from busy long days and be if you're anything like my wife it's like the first thing you do is sort of download <laughs> is that like yeah. is that a reality so, and then it's your job in that sort of phase of it was to almost like be the sounding board and the coach and the yeah definitely yeah and I've very much noticed it on Jodie but Jodie's always been a little bit up and down a bit flitty um, <laughs> but and I've always tried to um, to be be more steadfast and I think I've always been able to take emotion out of some of the business side of things and I think that's really really important because humans are very irrational and we're irrational because we're emotional Mm. Um, and it leads to people making the wrong decisions and there's a lot to do with you know you think a situation is, is a certain way when in, in reality it, it's not that way yeah. and you can only make decisions when you've got all the information available things like that and and getting getting emotional getting down and getting up doesn't help make the yeah. best decisions so you're, you're always best off to be pretty cool calm and collected and it's hard I think you do have to, to practice it and but it's sort of about coming out of your own head as well because you could read some email from someone and so this is I've done this with with various different people when they've gone oh that email was really rude and it's like well is that something that's true or do you just think it's true could it is it actually a rude email how is it a rude email have they sworn at you have they insulted your family like oh no they've just not they've just you know put a full stop and written kind regards like it's, it's nothing really <laughs> it's actually no this is okay this situation is fine it's in your head and if you can take it out of your head then your reality is just a lot happier I think yeah, your comment about email uh, 
you know full stop kind of regards just reminded me of you know that Twitter feed it's called Very British Problems yeah. <laughs> yes. and it's like the difference of realities between someone's in the queue and no everything's fine but they're fuming <laughs> it's like the most, that's the most British thing ever <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there's a lot of very British things like that <laughs> but it's just all ridiculous isn't yeah. it <laughs> Okay, so back to Ben and Jody in a few moments. There's no sponsored content bit on this episode, but I just wanted to share a couple of things with you. So a couple of things I just wanted to uh, get out into the world and help to promote. So um, the first is a little productivity tip. I uh, had a Skype call booked with Mohammed Faris a couple of days ago. Um, he is the founder of a thing called Productive Muslim. Uh, those of you who followed me for a while, I know that I did some fasting for Ramadan a couple of years ago as part of my year of extreme productivity experiments. Uh, you can find all that just through Google. And um, Mohammed, that was kind of his idea that we did that and, and he really helped me through that whole sort of process of it. And I really, I really loved the experience of just getting really innately curious about a completely different culture and, uh, you know, and just learning something completely different around productivity as a result of that. So that was a really fun experience. And we've kept in touch and we just Skype every now and again. We haven't spoke for a while, but uh, we tend to just Skype every every few months. Uh, so we're on Skype and Skype's doing what Skype always does, which is it goes glitchy. And then, you know, you, most of your conversation ends up being about Skype and whether it's working and all the rest of it. So really frustrating, like 15 minutes of that. And then Mohammed suggested we switch to a thing called Zoom. So it's just zoom.us. And we were in the same Wi-Fi connectivity. So Mohammed was in Saudi, I was uh, here in Brighton and exactly the same Wi-Fi setup. And it went from being this horrible glitchy Skype experience to Zoom being like HD camera, crystal clear conversation. And it just made a huge, huge difference. And it made me think, wow, like why is Skype still so glitchy and also why is it still like the default thing it's almost become like it's become like google or hoover in that sense is that you use it as the verb right it's like i'm going to skype someone but i think um you know i've never really been into the google hangouts thing like you know i'm not a massive like not a massive gmail or, or google kind of world user although now that i'm android and not iphone i'm kind of going that way but yeah zoom.us it's um i think it's 14 dollars a month for the subscription and you only need one of you to do it so Mohammed was already a subscriber I didn't need to pay to get onto it uh, but crystal clear like really really good service and um, yeah Mohammed was really raving about it so I'm going to be checking that out over the next few weeks I, I realized when I say that some of you will have been using that for like years and be like well yeah obviously <laughs> like uh, others of you are frantically writing that down so it's just zoom.us uh, also just wanted to share a book with you so in the last few days I've been I've been reading this amazing book it's called An Optimist's Tour of the Future and it's by a guy called Mark Stevenson and it's it's actually been on my shelf for about a year and I just hadn't got around to it and I picked it up recently thinking I could really do with a dose of optimism right now and uh, and to sort of think about the future in some different ways and man it's it's an incredible read it's really funny and it's like you know every five pages just there's something that just blows your mind it's it's really really interesting but yeah I mean just the idea is really is is to sort of take a step back from all of this stuff like Brexit and terrorism and all this awful stuff that's happening everywhere and just go, there is a bigger and better future for us as humans. And, you know, we get to shape that. And the technology 
is developing and emerging and a lot of it already exists you know but we can we can bring about you know massive changes in in medical care and actually in human longevity uh, stuff to do with 3d printing is going to completely democratize how we think about you know certain resources how energy is going to change is is really going to change the whole kind of political and economic map and really make us think you know ironically uh, given what this podcast is about much more deeply around what is a good life and what does work-life balance really mean and do we do we even do we even need to work right so i think i think there's the potential to get to that kind of a level um, with this stuff so really really good book it's called an optimist tour of the future it's by mark stevenson uh, and it is out everywhere on amazon and you know all those other places uh, but yeah really recommend it particularly if you're kind of down about what's going on in the world right now and you want to just kind of think about how the future could be better uh, really really good book so uh, let's get back to ben and jody and uh we were talking I mean, there's a little bit of um conversation about minimalism before but um we're talking about the fact that they live in a deliberately very small house and um they have this real kind of interest in minimalism so we're going to pick up the conversation here with ben just talking about their stuff so one of, one of the things we, we started realizing we didn't have very much stuff was so last year 2015 uh we lived in i think in 12 different places um, and when you have to move 11 times, you realise how much stuff you actually have and how much of it you definitely don't need. And was, it, like, was this an intentional thing to live in 12 different places? Or? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, it, kind of. it kind of happened by accident, but we were going to... So we went to live in Sydney for, for January, and there was something about renting a house in Birmingham that we weren't going to live into for a whole month that really got to me. And I was like, I'm not paying rent in a house that I'm not living in. So we took the decision to move out of the house, um, and so we had to live somewhere before we went to Sydney um, and went to Sydney and we, whilst we were in Sydney we, put, we had to put our stuff in storage so that was a bit of a, a bit of a blow mm. because we five thought, feet by f- five foot by five foot storage unit yeah so we were actually having to buy storage which was which was a bit of a reality check because we wanted to leave some in a, in a car or, or whatever but when you get everything out of your flat and put it in a in a room and you see everything you really start to think you realize how much rubbish you have yeah. mm. um, and so kind of halfway through the year we realized that we could eventually we got to be able to fit everything in our car um, <laughs> which was incredibly liberating and some people might not re- i mean our cars we don't have a massive car um, this <laughs> no. is a, a citroen ds3 um, and does this include the two front seats like can you still drive it yeah, yeah, yeah. Your car? it's a like, bit it's us, probably, us plus possessions yeah. in, yeah. Car. in the car yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a bit it might be a bit sketchy at times um, getting on the motorway with the amount of stuff we had in it but <laughs> it did fit in the car and some people might not realise that how what a challenge that is but I, am, I can guarantee most people would take a, a number of cars if yeah. not a removal lorry to fit all their stuff in it yeah. um, and so that was so liberating to have anything in your car you can be anywhere and you know that you could pack up everything in your car in an hour and just leave and go somewhere else and that, that was a really great feeling um, and so I guess it started from there. We started getting rid of our stuff that we didn't need. And I know Jodie will probably explain a little bit of the difference between min- min- minimalism and essentialism. And it was very much what are the essentials, get down mm. to, to that. Um, and, and that probably is where, where it started. So what is the difference then, minimalism and essentialism? Well, I don't actually, I don't know if there's a, a widely known definition, but I don't really like the term minimalism because I think you're not defined by what you don't do. So... Like I, I don't drink alcohol, but I don't define myself as a teetotaler because I'm not defined by something, by the absence of something. Yeah. So the, and it's like a, 
athe- maybe atheist because you're, it's like defining yourself by the absence of a religion. So I d- I'm not too sure about those mm. terms. So I quite like the term essentialist because what it means is you just focus on the absolutely necessary and eliminate everything else. So that's the kind of term I go by. And there's a book, I think there's a book called Essentialism, Essentialism in Practice. Um, but it's, it's kind of going back to the Tim Ferriss, what do you want to do every day, every week, every month, every year, and what are the possessions that you need in order to, to have that lifestyle? And it was a big part, it sounds like a big part of that for you with, you know, moving to Sydney, you've been in Toronto, you've moved around different different cities and you can kind of take your laptops and carry on working on the business, but from different parts of the world. So it sounds like a big part of that essentialism was the ability to be nimble and to be able to move quickly and move around. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think, I don't know about you, but it's sort of, it sort of scares me the idea of having a three bedroom house with a garden and all the kind of grown up stuff that comes with it like I I really like being able to kind of just get up pack your, pack your bag and you've got mm. your laptop and everything you need because you don't actually need that, that much stuff yeah. and having too much stuff and having things just in case it's all sort of a symbol of fear it's like yeah, I need to. I need an extra T-shirt just in case this is going to happen. I need an extra something just in case this is going to happen. But really, yeah. you don't. You actually don't need anything if you're going on holiday. So we went. We went. Um, we went and did some remote working in in Dubai for a month and did some work out there as well. And all you actually need is your passport. Yeah. And the clothes you're wearing. So then once you get to that stage where it's fine, if I forget my toothbrush, I'll get another toothbrush at the airport. If I forget <laughs> this, I'll get another one. Then it's it's okay. And so if you adopt that philosophy to everything else that you own, do you need the shorts that are in three different colours? Probably not. How many times are you going to wear each one? And so in in our house as well, because we, we live in quite a small, well, a big studio flat, but a small flat. If you put a heat map on our flat and where we move around and where we are we probably use the whole space mm. whereas if you like I know people who live in massive houses but they only use that one room once yeah. once a year yeah. and so if you put a heat map on on ours it'd be fine and it's the same with your clothes like which ones do you actually wear the ones that you don't wear why do you even have them what's the point yeah and do you know what? I've never heard that articulated in that way before of um everything that you own is a symbol of some kind of fear like, <laughs> honestly I'm still just going through my whole like everything in my house thinking wow that's that's really a lot of things a really interesting way of thinking fill about lofts and yeah. fill attics and garages are there just in case like oh no I need a tree yeah. trimmer yeah or even that fill front rooms and stuff like yeah. that and so your your space doing the heat map around the flat like that's also like choosing that flat as opposed to yeah. you know you could afford to like have a bigger house or a bigger place but it's like um, it's choose somewhere that's that's more yeah definitely well on the day that we went to go look at our flat we saw a studio flat and we saw a one bedroom flat and they weren't that different in price but mm. the one bedroom flat just felt like well we don't we don't need all the space yeah it's just a bit too big for what we actually need mm, yeah. and having a and having a studio flat as well you use the city as your living room yeah. rather than spending yeah. all your time in it I don't think I've ever heard anybody in talking about property. Think, it's just too big for what we actually need. That itself is quite remarkable. It, 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 was, it was just kind of so much space, but we don't have enough stuff to put in this space. Um, and, and also, we, we have, we, which we haven't said yet, is that this, we have used the space fairly innovatively. Yeah. So yeah. when you think of studio flat, you think, ooh, so your bed's right next to your kitchen, and you know, you've got to live in the same room as your bed, but our bed does fold away. Yeah, right. so, it's a Murphy yeah. bed that comes down from the wall. Yeah, so it, it, we have used 
used it in a way that once the bed is away, it does feel like a living a living room. So I think you do need a bit of space just to just to exist. Yeah. Um, so it's not it doesn't feel claustrophobic in any way. Um, but it's yeah. worth adding adding that. Yeah, we checked out quite a few. Um, there there are some a group of guys called the minimalists who yeah. talk about designing studio flats like that. And so we took a few ideas from that with the Murphy bed that comes down from the wall. And then we've also got a table that normally it sits two people around it, but you can just extend it yeah. to eight people. So we could have an eight person dinner okay. party in our flat with all the chair, the fold up chairs and things. And then if you run out of something while you're having dinner, you could just reach over to the fridge from your seat. <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But and then everything that you need in the table exists within the table. It's not you don't have to store the you don't have to store anything anywhere wow. I heard well. someone uh, the other day uh, told me that they had a friend who in their kitchen there was the oven there was the fridge and then there were two dishwashers and basically one is dirty and the other is clean and they have no cupboards for like it was just that's right. fun right? Okay. Like, oh they don't have cupboards they no, just so you just turn in. one dishwasher on and then it cleans all the stuff and then meanwhile the other one is where you're storing everything that's already clean and then it just literally that's cool. One's on, one's not. Um, so you never empty or load the dishwasher. You know, it's just... just put things back in the dishwasher. Oh, I like that. Mm, that's that's cool, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. I, we, the, our flat has a kitchen that is very small, and we know that we can fit a half-sized dishwasher in it. I don't think we're going to be able to fit two full-size dishwashers. <laughs> yeah, the two, there might be a compromise. It's a very good idea, though. Uh, that's really cool. I like so, it. So the minimalism thing, like in terms of getting to it, so did you find that you were, were there things that you were throwing away or selling or getting rid of that were a challenge or that were a wrench or anything like that? I've never missed anything, mm. never once actually thought. But that's different from at the time not being reluctant to get rid of something or not oh, wanting to get rid of something. Was there anything that you were just like, oh, I don't know if I, don't know if I could? Yeah, a few things. So there's a few different techniques that various people have tried. So one thing that I don't actually know anyone who's done, but I've heard about it, is that you could put everything in your wardrobe so that the hangers are a certain way around. Yeah. And then as you wear it, when you put it back, turn the hanger the other way around and then revisit in a couple of months and you'll see all the things you haven't worn. And it's the classic 80-20 rule thing, right? Probably about 20% of your wardrobe you wear 80% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. yeah but yeah. there's also, um, there's a lady called Marie Kondo who's, oh, yeah. her name yeah. is Conmari, the, the life-changing magic of tidying up. Yeah. And the way she talks about storing stuff as well really works well because you you don't store things uh, horizontally so the idea is that nothing's ever on the bottom because once it's on the bottom it's forgotten it's not mm. seen you don't really use it you store everything so you can see everything you own all in one go and you guys do that with all like your clothes and yeah we else. do yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah taught other people how to do it as well <laughs> right I came back from I was travelling last year and I came back and uh, Shaz my wife had, had rearranged all of her wardrobe and all of mine in that way <laughs> yes uh, but it just it for me it takes me so long to do that I just chuck it all in to be honest yeah you have to I think you have to adopt the whole mindset I think it's yeah. easy for someone to tell you what you should be doing but yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's it looked pretty for about a week mind right you. okay yeah. Yeah. you need to be a bit committed to it I think it's quite extreme isn't it? it feels a bit crazy because her whole philosophy is that you pick an item up you, you touch it you feel it and if it doesn't spark joy then it has no place in your yeah. life at all and that's yeah. when it should be thanked for its uh, thanked for its use and then sent off yeah, yeah so thank you very much for this event that I wore you at right see you later yeah and there's definitely a thing in I mean like I like that whole philosophy in the sense of it's starting to counteract a lot of the consumerist propaganda that you hear all the time which is basically and coming back to your thing about fear you know so many people want to acquire status because it's a sort of fear of insecurity about who they are and yeah. who they should be and all that sort of thing and you know I try and 
stay steer clear of advertising and status symbols and all those kind of things. So I like that mindset from that point of view. Another part of me, though, just feels quite sad that someone could have been so wasteful in the first place. Yeah. And it's like, there are, you know, you zoom out and you look at the world from that sort of much bigger level and you think, how many people are sat there reading this article or listening to this idea of like all these things I've they no longer bring me joy so I'm just going to fling them down yeah, the, yeah. the trash or throw them away like it feels like a very I mean maybe that maybe it's part of that same coin it's just like a symptom of the wasteful yeah, society that we live I, in right absolutely but, I think I think you're right and where we where we do we, we certainly donate close to charity as opposed to actually getting rid of them because yeah. I, I totally agree but the, the problem was caused in the first place by buying too much yeah. and, and it has if you ever read suffocation no, I'm it's not a that. fantastic book about yeah. why humans have too much stuff. Mm. And um, essentially, we got to a point in our, after the Industrial Revolution where we could produce so much extra stuff than we needed. Marketing was born, and we had to convince everyone that you needed more stuff. Yeah. And so we started accumulating stuff that we didn't really need. And so people have ended up with, and that's why people have got garages full of stuff, lofts full of stuff. And it's because we've been marketed so effectively to that we've been told we need all this stuff to exist. Um, and it's and and of course, the one marketing one hundred and one is you have to first create a need. Ooh, yeah. Do you have wrinkles yeah. around your eyes? You yeah. must have wrinkles around your eyes if you're you know over forty. You must therefore need this cream. And <laughs> that, that's marketing one hundred and one. And everyone does it, which is why we have so much stuff. So if people can not buy stuff in the first place, then hopefully there isn't that waste. Mm. But you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. There is two sides to it. Mm. So, you do, so there's nothing that you miss in terms of being able to pack all your stuff into a car? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. And is there any, are there ever times where you go around to a friend's house and they've got a house full of stuff and you go, oh, this is beautiful, this is nice? No, we're like, oh, but we teach our friends, we give up, buy our friends stuffication books. Say, <laughs> <laughs> right. so please. Where it just sits out. in a pile of all their other books. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, there's an element of, I certainly can appreciate nice things and nice yeah. clothes yeah. And, and nice objects and, you know, nice big houses and flats. And I think they're great. I think, they're nice things, places to visit, and it's nice to go and have a holiday in a nice villa that's got mm. more space. But but ultimately, the way you want to live your live your life, I think for us, the priority is being streamlined. And there's always yeah. going to be pros and cons, and, and the perfect lifestyle is represented by so many different things for different people. But for us, it's it's the essentialism stuff. Because mm. we were talking on the train as well about about social media and about how our kind of generation. X, we're, we're, the millennials we're the millennials, and, and then the one the guys who are just a bit younger than us, uh, Generation Z. So, right, okay. so we're growing up where all our friends like it's just it's just kind of common that you know everyone's achievements because we're all on social media everyone's talking about mm, everything congratulating yeah. each other and so there's so many of our friends doing really cool stuff and some of them you're like oh yeah I'd really like to do that as well but then some of them it's more like I'm really really happy with that person but that's not that's not something I see myself as wanting to achieve so then I think there's an important and such as is that again down the route of sort of possessions well, and stuff or is that yeah, done possibly. careers just, or? just anything yeah. just because I think we're quite quite kind of uh, set in our idea of what success means to us and obviously success means so many different things to different people and that's a good thing but then with social media you run the risk of wanting to have all the success that everyone's having all at the yeah. same time so being able to distinguish what's what you want and what's what you don't want as yeah, well. well people people do not share the tough times in their life the days that they're well some people do but generally people share achievements and great mm. things that they're doing and it's very easy to sit on social media and if you've got 500 friends on Facebook you are seeing several pretty good achievements every single day and you yeah. think wow everyone else is having such a great time they're doing such amazing things and then you know some of your friends will be getting married or they'll have the keys to their first flat or they'll have a new BMW or they'll say I've just got this promotion I've just got this raise and 
I think it's very easy to let other people's idea of success influence yours. Mm. And if you're being dragged along by, oh, they've got a BMW, I need a BMW, you're letting other people's definitions guide what you're, what you're doing. And I, and I think that's why it's important to do the exercises where you're looking at what do I want to do more what of, what do I want to do less of, and see what happiness actually means to you. If I was to say to you that someone would offer you big money to buy your business, so you'd have a load of money, but then a caveat of that is there's a clause in that contract which means you can't set up another business. Would you sell? Um, why can't I set up another business? Because I have to work in... I'm just, I'm just <laughs> interested by the dynamic of is, it, is one of the important things for you to, to, you know, to have autonomy and to be an entrepreneur oh, and work on your own thing... You know, yeah. and so actually that supports your lifestyle versus money, I guess, could support your lifestyle, but it also sounds like it's not a driver for you in terms of BMWs well, and things. Well, so we've had offers for people to buy um, our business. We've both been offered pretty, like, very, very well-paid jobs, actually, over the past couple of years, but it's not... Yeah, the autonomy is so important, and whilst we both... <laughs> We both like, I guess money is important because it, it facilitates lifestyle and it facilitates yeah. everything that we want to do. But I think I find it very, very hard to be on someone else's terms. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I think I, the idea of not having to do anything really appeals. And, you know, you can think it's going to be it's going to be great. But I'd be incredibly surprised if I could sit down for, for two weeks, even, even even a week and not do anything productive um, and not get really bored and want, want to do something and change things because everything we've started is because, because of a passion or because of a drive to, to tra- yeah. change something for the better yeah. um, and it, it, it's not fun is it I mean it's fulfilment isn't it it's really I think money we had a friend this week say money's easy fulfilment is hard mm. yeah. and money money makes the world go around money facilitates a lot of things and it's free and it's freedom but it's not money for money's sake is not, not the goal is it it's, yeah. it's doing yeah. something that means to you I don't think yeah, people ever get to get to old age and say wow thank, thank you know I'm so glad that I made all that money they're not going to say that but it's, a, it's the relationships they had it's the, it's the great times they had completely and I think, I think money is also only freedom with the right mindset as well yeah. and I think often people's mindset around money becomes so negative in so many different ways that it could no matter how much money you had you'd never be free right yes yeah I think with uh, yeah, I feel quite lucky at the moment that with JC Social Media and with Clever Tags and with the various little projects we do, like I feel quite a big sense of fulfilment and I really genuinely love doing all of them. Mm. But if I didn't, if I wasn't happy for like even a second, it'd be like, right, let's do something else. Because there's no point. There's no point. Yeah. Just not being happy. And did you have time? So you say, uh, if I wasn't happy for a second, there must have been seconds in five years of running a business because I know Jodie I've, I've set up yeah, a business yeah, as well yeah. so there'll be times where it's low yeah but so, so what, what gets you through those times if you're also then saying hey you know, if, if it wasn't happening for a second I'm moving this thing up so a few things one thing I really like is that I'll, I'll go off on a tangent and I'll come back okay. <laughs> so we use an accountancy software called Zero. yeah I use it too okay yeah. so when, when you log into Zero, on the bottom right hand corner it's got how are you feeling with Zero today it's got a happy face oh, yeah. a neutral face and a sad face I do that every day. How are you feeling with your life today? Happy face, neutral face, sad face. <laughs> and overall, does the happy, is it happy? Is it a happy face? Because if you have too many sad faces, that's mm. where it's like, right, what do I need to do to change this? I think it's just being self-aware. Yeah. And being, and also taking time out of each day to like say five things that you're grateful for. 
because you know don't you if you know when there's always going to be hard times and there's always going to be things that are a bit of a struggle but as long as it's all aligned with your overall value and your overall purpose then then fine mm. that's part of the journey but if it's really like right this is this is rubbish and I can't see a way out then yeah. that's when it needs to go and I guess like a feeling of some of those difficult times being temporary or being this is a thing until this changes yeah. is one thing but when it's like oh actually I'm just not enjoying it I'm not feeling it day to day yeah that's maybe a different thing and it's kind of knowing the difference between those two things maybe and there are probably so many cheesy phrases on Instagram like the oh, the, the best for you comes after the hardest climb and yeah. loads of one yeah. like that but it's all true yeah yeah it's definitely it's, you're definitely right it's the it's the transient mood fluctuations that you need to kind of ignore and it is that, that base level well, what have we achieved what are we achieving what does that what does our life actually look like is it good or bad but I, I certainly think that as entrepreneurs you you indoctrinate yourself to be positive yeah. and actually because because if you're not going to be the driving force behind your business if you don't think it's going to be great it's not going to be great it's going to fail so whether you whether you are actually having a great time or not or whether you think your business is going to succeed or not you have to tell yourself that it is and I think you, you tell yourself that for so long that that is just your default setting you are just an, opt- you're just an optimist um, and, you, and you have to be so stripping it back to the bare bones I mean there probably have been times when you look at it and you think wow this isn't going well <laughs> wow this you know you've got a lot of work to do here and things aren't looking so great but you cannot for a second think that you just yeah. cannot you cannot yeah. even let it into your brain you have to say everything's going well I'm going to succeed as long I guess the caveat to that being as long as you know if you spend two years like you can have too much optimism in a business right so you can get to a point where it's like I have to do everything to make this work and yet you're trying to create chocolate teapots or something that just isn't mm. the right thing and then it's yeah it's like then that, optimism yeah. is a misplaced thing right? absolutely and you can see that time and time again on, on Dragon's End don't you? you see guys going in there and they say oh, how God, much money yeah. have you put into yeah. this and they're like well I've put about 200,000 yeah. stop <laughs> please, please stop what you're doing <laughs> go back to the day job and, and that's just a perfect example of people who have taken that to the extreme and there's, there's no external source of someone saying um, I think this isn't going to work and that's of course why it's so important to have people like mentors in your life mm. mentors coaches um, I mean Jodie and I are quite lucky to have each other in a, in a sense because someone, yeah. someone can have a mind of reason or coming from a slightly different angle at least um, but having a mentor hopefully avoids that kind of scenario yeah and do you have like external mentors as well like it it's re- just feels really remarkable how like you guys have such a sort of aligned sort of sense of mission purpose lifestyle all this kind of stuff mm. but like I mean you, do you have people outside of yeah yeah we both have you? mentors we both have separate mentors yeah who will go and have various different chats with. I quite like coaching as well, so the idea that you don't go to someone for advice, you go to someone so that they can ask you loads of questions yeah. and grill you yeah, about yeah, stuff yeah. so that you yeah. get to the answer yourself. And the mentor thing, is that like a formal thing that you have set up? Like, how's it work? Just, I have maybe one session every month or every six weeks and I guess you do I, about the same yeah I, I, my kind of form of mentoring is more conversations to people who are like minded yeah. um, and people who you know see things well and think about things and ask the right questions and I wouldn't necessarily there's a kind of mentor mentee relationship but you spend enough time with, with enough people talking about the problems you'll get you'll get to solutions and you'll yeah. keep moving forward which is ultimately all, all you're trying to do is make the right next step Hmm. And have you ever had things come up in those sort of sessions where you've identified something that you really want to do that you think maybe the other person doesn't really want to do or like things where you've not been so aligned and, you know, does that come up when you're not with each other and then do you have to sort of bring that back to the couple and to to each other sort of thing? 
I think I'm more for one to entertain ideas, <laughs> which in hindsight, some of them have cert- would have certainly sidetracked us. I, I hope the microphone picked up Jodie sort of sniggering. Of- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, no, it's, beca- it's because <laughs> I don't know which I don't know which route you're going down here. But sometimes Ben will be like, "Hey, I've got this really good idea," and I'll be like, "No, I can't handle any more ideas. We need to focus on these two businesses. Stop coming to me." So you have ideas. to give an example of one of those. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I often there 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 are ideas related to what we are currently doing and. It, is a sidetrack to the business to the business's goal but so other other times it is just a completely brand new random idea I can't, I'm hey let's tr- do this yeah there yeah. are there are loads we've got a book so what we've what we've started to do is there's a notebook which in the back it says parked ideas and they're ideas that usually ben has where we're like right we're not going to do this right now because it will detract from what we're doing yeah. we're so focused on the two things that we're that we're doing that we can't add other things in and that's where we'll write a list of them but they're quite Oh yeah, no, we can mention that. Yeah, well, I just had an idea. So, so I don't know if that would have picked that up, but um, yeah, that might already be on on the. So I just thought, there, well, I just kind of had this idea, and I thought, wow, it would be really great to have the meaty muffin company and have muffins with meaty things in them because you can have you know quite sweet muffins, but you can have savoury muffins. I thought, oh, I even wanted to go for a meaty like, muffin with like beef in it. Yeah, like, with like yeah, yeah, and have yeah with a bit Bacon. like a roast yeah. dinner muffin. I thought that'd be a really good idea, but again it's parked and it actually well, very, very briefly one of the guys that I, that I speak to a lot came up with this idea of um, causal and effectual thinking and the causal thinking is when you wake up with an amazing great idea and then you make things work around it so a perfect example of that was the clever textbooks we thought wow this is a great idea mm. but, and, but then you start having to learn how to write a book and you have to learn how to publish a book and you have to learn how the printing process works and, and the education you, system how, then you have to learn from scratch the education system you have to build relationships with people and that's not a great way to start a business because at the end of the day, if someone says to you, are you the best person to start this business? The answer is probably no. Yeah. I might be now because yeah. I've done all that learning process, but really you need to think effectually and you look at yourselves and you think, what are my skill sets? Or what is the group skill sets? Who do we know um, network-wise? What would an exit strategy look like potentially? And you build an idea that way. And, and that, that's more aligned with the products that we've started more recently where mm. you actually think as a group of four or five people, are you the best people to do this? The answer is probably yes. It's so uniquely entwined around us that we can actually make this work. And so those are the ones that you focus on where there's it almost feels like there's less, less friction, more, more momentum and traction yeah, behind definitely. it. Because it overcomes mm. so many barriers because mm. when we were first um, starting Clever Tags and, and we made a teacher's guide to go alongside the books, Ben researched about 10 years of Ofsted papers just to work out how we could best fit it all into the existing curriculum. And so someone who was already in that market could would already know, well, this yeah. will work, that won't work. Yeah. And you'd save like days and days of work. So yeah, the projects that we that we focus on more now are things that we already know the industry of yeah and they're certainly more collaborative we work with other people who have got slightly different skills and interests and and that helps with with the management of work because we can do the stuff that we're really great at they can do the stuff that they're really great at and before before long you've actually got a product that's quite good but because you're such specialists you produce things very very quickly and and it doesn't take the you know however long it would take to create the meaty muffin company Wow. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone listening does want to start the Meaty Muffin Company and let us know. <laughs> so, and uh, do they cut you in on the deal? Are they business partners or are they, are they having that idea for free? Yeah, we'll like just have a couple of muffins every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> Send you some muffins in the post. It reminds me of uh, in Portland in the US, there's um, uh, what's this like a donut company called, uh, oh man, I can't remember the name of it now. 
someone will someone will write in. But there's like a donut company where they basically make donuts out of like breakfast cereals and like all this kind of weird. And you can get bacon in the donuts oh, and nice. all that sort of That's thing. Cool. And, and people get on the plane at Portland Airport with these pink boxes from the donut company because they're visiting someone else in the US and it's like oh bring me some donuts ah, like the thing good. to do in Portland uh, so just reminded me of that um, I, I've loved this conversation I've loved just how uh, just how focused you guys are like just really inspiring like the work that you're doing so I'd just love to finish by talking about goal setting and how do you set them when do you set them um, and what's, what have you found that has worked for you around how, how you set and achieve those goals Sure. Well, I think one of the things that we we certainly realized is that when we were making those lists of what do we want to do more of, start doing, those kind of things, we realized that one of the biggest blockers was just booking them. And uh, we got these goals and we actually thought, well, these are goals. Well, what are the barriers to the goals? And we realized the barriers were just us. Mm. And we had to just get out of the way of ourselves and actually book these things in. So whether it was, you know, going to certain restaurants, booking these trips in um, and that just getting things booked and in the diary it means you've you've got to reach it you've got to reach those goals um, and, and was the, the first so thing. you said the barrier was you was there a barrier a lot around so when you decide to go and live in Toronto for a couple of months and work there or whatever and was the barrier in terms of you about sort of abundance mentality and like yes I give, I give myself permission to do that or was it just like more it was like more like the it feeling, the, yeah, the it feeling like the right time right, because okay. it never quite feels like the right time. So it's like, oh, we'll book it then. Oh, we'll book it then. Oh, we'll book it next week because we need to sort something out first. But then we found that if you just book it, then you sort everything else out. Yeah, around everything else it. falls around it rather than waiting for the perfect perfect moment to do Definitely. things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's like that thing yeah. everyone says like, "There's never a perfect time to have kids," that's, right? I mean, which that's is very it. true. You just mm. have to yeah. adjust the rest of your life at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that, that was certainly one of the ways that we managed to quickly achieve a lot of our goals. But with, with where, you know, where we we're heading, I mean, we have really worked on our lifestyle to the point that we really enjoy it. Um, we have kind of got a flat exactly where we need it to be that we, we can walk to our gym, we can walk to work and we can go and remote work, you know, anywhere in the world for, for a month. So it's not necessarily that we're trying to, to change anything at the moment. So and it, it's great to say we've achieved all our goals, but we're not cert- certainly not quite there. But we're, we're, very, we're very close to, to what, what we want to do. Mm. Each, each year there's like a kind of, you know, that amazing time in the middle of Christmas and New Year when yeah, it's yeah. just like actual guilt-free holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, there's usually when we kind of go to a coffee shop or something and then and then write down like what have we achieved this year what do we want to achieve next year and so I've got that going back to 2011 I think mm-hmm. of every year like what was the goal did we reach it what is it next year and then all those mm-hmm. in a row because that's quite cool like just at yeah. the end of the year being like right what's next year what's hold, next year got to hold you've just made me realise that because I do something very similar around that time of year but I never look back okay. and so I never give myself that sort of yes I achieved that or yeah, okay. yeah I didn't yeah. and then why and I do the reflection on a weekly basis but I don't do it on that bigger yeah. sort of year basis that's interesting and the why is really important because in a Jan- yeah. in January you might say you want to do a certain thing and then at the end it's like well actually I didn't even want to do that anymore so I haven't achieved it but it's fine because my priorities mm. have changed and then something I did the other day after I read a book called You Are the Placebo and it's all about when you say things or think things and your mind can't distinguish between it actually happening and you saying it about something that's actually happened or about you saying it about something that hasn't happened so I wrote 
my bio as in my kind of elevator pitch for when I'm 30 so two like two and a half years time it was hello I'm Jodie Cook this is my 30th birthday I am and it was the kind of how I want to describe myself then mm. based on certain things kind of achieved by then and then you've got that feeling in your head and then it's like ah this is so this is so close this could actually happen yeah and that helps align all the what goals Oh, I couldn't possibly tell you all the stuff. <laughs> it's quite big though, like it's quite big, it's quite out there as in what I want to achieve with all the different projects, but it's more, yeah, it's not necessarily even for publication, it's more like just to, to revisit every now and again. Yeah, and why would you not publish it? Why, why, or why would, why would you not share it? Don't know. I guess it's just not. It's just not for that purpose. It probably sounds. It probably sounds really egotistical. Yeah, it probably does. And when you haven't achieved it yet, I mean, because of course there's going to be goals with with the business side. There's certainly the goals of getting the national package with clever types. But yeah. it, sometimes it's quite dangerous to even to even put that on paper because goals and targets are the, the ones that are written down are the ones that you want to achieve. And and sometimes you may not even go about achieving them in the right way. And what I mean by that is that I think. If we can all focus, especially especially business people who are working on self-improvement, if we actually improve ourselves as managers, being more productive, being more mindful, as a result of that, as a byproduct of that, we will be better achievers in our mm-hmm. in our in our in our businesses. And I was talking to Jodie recently about this as well. There's the, the a lot of entrepreneurs say, you know, I'm a great entrepreneur because I'm never satisfied, and they're always driven to do more. But if you're never satisfied, are you ever happy? Are you just driving to do more, to make more money? So really, you have to learn to be happy with the existing situation, but not so happy that you don't work. So being happy and then improving oneself by various means, reading a lot of you know, self-improvement books, that should help achieve your business goal without actually writing down your business goals in terms of you know, monetary terms for, or whatever. Yeah. There's something really interesting in the dynamic of that, of um, so happiness coming from gratitude and a contentment with where you're at, but then the goal is the thing that creates the tension yeah. to give you the motivation. Yeah. Because if you didn't have tension, then there's no reason to, I yeah. guess, to get up in the morning. And Absolutely. I think on the, on the lines of it not necessarily being for publication as well, it's sort of to do with something I read there's a guy called Derek Sivers who wrote yeah. the guy who started CD Baby and wrote Anything You Want and it's like a really nice version of starting a business just with no rules and he works on the premise that somewhere there's someone on a beach there's a man on a beach selling fish and that's a business so if he can do it that simply you can do it that simply and he talks about um, your clients don't care about your, your growth aspirations they don't care about how big you want your business to be they care that you're looking after them right now and that's it and he was like but the stupid thing is you focus on that and that will get you to reach your goals as well Mm. so I guess if we've got goals about getting Jay's social media to be I don't know X number of people really big then it actually takes away from the thing that we're really focusing on which is just making clients happy delighting people yeah right okay yeah whereas if you if the focus is just client 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 focus in that way then all the good stuff will follow, right? And you'll yeah. get to you'll get to that point. Yeah. What I thought you were going to say there was, if we're focused on the business in that sense, the business will uh, sort of facilitate your personal growth and a lot of those other things. I think it can do. I mean, I think yeah. on the other side of it as well, though, if you can, if you don't achieve those goals, you can often see yourself as a failure. And yet, you can have worked really, really well. It can have been a fantastic year, but you may not have achieved your goals. And there can be a number of external factors that may be reason you can't. I mean, you can't. You can't be an entrepreneur and bring up external factors because you know it rests on you. you the mm. buck stops at you. you. You're not. 
you can't do that. Uh, it's making excuses for, you, for yourself. But yeah. once you've got a monetary value there, right, we need to reach a turnover of X and you actually only re you reach X minus five. How does that go down as a success? Does it go down as a failure? So I th there's definitely pros and cons to putting monetary values on things or, yeah. or certain goals. Yeah. One of our goals last year was to meet the Queen. <laughs> but then we were, so we got invited to the Queen's Garden just party. Just like for the crack. Or... <laughs> I don't know. It was just there. It was just on the garden. <laughs> just a fun thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got invited to the Queen's Garden party last year, and we found out pretty early on that you pretty much have to make a choice. It's either you you wait in line and you maybe meet the Queen, mm. or you eat a lot of food. Or you and... go and actually have fun and talk to all the interesting <laughs> people there. there and yeah. the food was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we would have met the Queen anyway. We no. saw her. We sang the national anthem with her. <laughs> <laughs> and so because that was tip. a goal to meet the Queen, uh, I'm interested why you didn't just go, well, that was my focus, I'm just going to stand in the queue. Like, what was that decision about? I don't know. Obviously, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would still priorities, like to meet the Queen. Priorities change, don't they? When you're yeah. there and you, know, you can see all the, the teas and uh, <laughs> the, scone, the, sco the posh scones, you think, actually, the scone looks really tasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for Ben and Jodie. I hope you enjoyed that one. It was really fun hanging out with them and uh, thanks again to Ben and Jodie for making the trip down from Birmingham. And uh, ben, Ben's uh, interested in coming to some Villa games with me this year so uh, at least we can, we can console each other at least I guess. Uh, although maybe maybe it'll be good. Maybe maybe not being in the Premier League this season. It's it's going to be different. That's <laughs> why I keep saying it. It's going to be different, whatever it turns out to be. Uh, if you want to find out more about what they do, uh, you can, I'll put all the links to this in the show notes because there's lots of stuff I could spell out and I just won't. Uh, but it's all at getbeyondbusy.com. You'll find all, all the links there. Uh, but yeah, jcsocialmedia.com clevertikes.com, and then on Twitter, Jody is at cookieworlds. And Ben is at BenCookBSC. Uh, so do check them out. I'm sure they'd love to connect. And also, if you're interested in getting some help with your business's social media, whether that's buying a really reasonably priced ebook, or whether it's getting some training from JC Social Media, or whether it's actually just outsourcing the entire thing and letting them handle it, uh, they're really switched on people and they will definitely do a great job for you. So um, go and check out jcsocialmedia.com. Uh, thanks also to Mark Sedman from Bloomsbury Digital and thanks all of you for listening. Um, just getting some really nice comments in at the moment and, uh, you know, just really nice feedback on the show. So um, really thanks to uh, all of you for just being engaged in this and uh, being part of this project. If you haven't subscribed, uh, please do. That really helps. And also just tell your friends and just spread the word. We're going to do um, another episode in two weeks time, then take a short break and come back with series two. But yeah, just really loving doing this so far and uh, really, really loving the, the connections that I'm making uh, with you guys as, as part of the audience on this as well. Uh, so drop me a line, graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you haven't checked out my book, it's called How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And my business is thinkproductive.com and thinkproductive.co.uk in the UK. So as I say, we'll be back in two weeks' time um, with episode 10 of Beyond Busy. And until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Goodbye.